Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. For the listener who is not familiar with what has happened in France, would you please explain from your perspective what France decided to do with iPhone 12 to protect public health? Okay. Uh, Sophia, I, I don't know if you remember, in the U.S., there's a standard from the FCC, been around for over 30 years, and it talks about the strength of a cell phone transmission. In this case, in the US, it's 1.6 watts per kilogram. Just remember 1.6. When it's 1.6, it will likely not increase the temperature around the surrounding skin by two degrees, and it won't penetrate a six foot male skull by one to two inches. So that's the standard in the U.S. Most of Europe is similar to that kind of standard, except for France. France has actually a different standard than the U.S. When we do the testing in the U.S., we talk about it with the test equipment used. It's almost an inch away from the devices, an inch away from the material that's used to determine the measurement. In France... They have two standards, one that tests uh, roughly like what the U.S. does, about one inch or, or 500 millimeters is in France standard. And the standard there is two watts per kilogram for that design. And then you have the other part of their standard, which is where they put an equivalent of a cell phone directly to the head. And for that, it can't exceed four watts per kilogram, and it can increase by three degrees, nor can it penetrate roughly by two inches. So in France, the iPhone 12 that failed, failed the one that was 500 millimeters away, not the one that was zero. No, it, it passed the one that's 500 millimeters away. The one on the head, which is four watts per kilogram, measured over 5.7 watts, which is like 40... 50, whatever percent above the standard. That's why they failed it. That's why the French stopped sending that out, because when you exceed that standard, the temperature rises in the head. It goes farther into the head as well as heats up. And so that's what the French government was trying to prevent. So a real question is, is it a product? Was it the product that was not correctly designed? Or was it a product that was manufactured incorrectly? We know that it's a product that's been around for a couple of years. France definitely tested it a couple of years ago, and it passed. Now, a couple of years later, it doesn't pass. So that sort of indicates that the standard product they built was correctly built. The fact is, it varied because of likely production variations. And so it wasn't just that it was designed wrong. 
it's in the manufacturing that they didn't have the quality control to ensure that signal wasn't going to be too high in France. So it's a, sort of a general problem for all products that are being built. It was not just the iPhone 12 in a sense. So when you think about it, is it a serious problem? Well, not against necessarily the standard for one, but it is for the other. But I don't know if you remember, the standards we use today in the US, for example, were built upon a six foot male, not a female, not a child. So it represents roughly about 3% of the users of cell phones in the US. Same difference there. Are the strengths of those signals really too high? These standards have been around for over 30 years. And so in general, another question that's coming up is, are these standards really somewhat safe? And a lot of science says it may not be. Why? Because we're not so much worried about the thermal impact. We're more worried about the biological impact, the, the, the mutated cells, the illnesses that we have derived from the exposures. And those are not thermal problems. There are from electromagnetic signals that may be interfering with our body. So that's a rough... Let me make sure that we unpack so much valuable information you said. So correct me if I'm wrong, but in France, there are two standards that wireless devices or cell phones have to pass. One is a test that measures the phone being 500 millimeters. Yes, that's about um, one inch, close to one inch about one inch from the body. And I believe the US FCC also has right. that distance as part of its test. Yep. Separately in France, or additionally in France, they have a requirement that cell phones that are held against the brain have an additional criteria that has to be met. And that second test is where the iPhone 12 failed. That's exactly right. And you're saying that there was, at one point, the iPhone 12 passed those tests, but later on, over time, it didn't. So the product was probably manufactured fine. Designed fine. Designed Design. fine. Okay, so my question has been, because Apple, in response to France's sales halt, update, Apple updated its software to adjust to reduce the wireless emissions. And I'm wondering, how can a software update do that? Okay, I'll explain it to you. The cell phone, iPhone 12 cell phone that's sent to the US is literally the same design product that's shipped to France. There's just software control of performance within the device that you can control. One of them is the power level of the transmitting device. And so like if you had a radio and you made it into a tiny little chip, you'd have a little control of that to change the volume. Well, this is what they do. They change the volume in software. That's how it works. So I would guess since the iPhone 12 passed the two tests by France years ago, what changed was a software update that increased the emissions in the iPhone 12. 
yeah, more precisely, it's highly likely once it was manufactured, they downloaded software that was incorrect for France. But that incorrect software passed the test at first. No, no, no. It's oh, it manufacturing. Never... It's manufacturing. So over the years, they have different packages they download into uh, iPhone 12, for example. When they have a phone built in and it's for U.S., they download software for the U.S. Right next to it is another one that's going to France. They download a different set of software into that phone. So the different places, different performance, same design. Okay. So why is it that from what I've read, Apple has said that the new software updates for France to meet France's requirements will not be applied to other markets like the U.S.? Very simple. The ones in the U.S. were correctly downloaded to those. The ones in France were incorrect. So the only ones that they know about that's incorrect is in France. So they'll upgrade it and download in France. And what they're doing, remember the example of the radio I mentioned? They're going to take the radio volume and lower it. That's how they're going to make that standard fit with those products in France. Okay, so in theory, iPhone 12s in the US and iPhone 12s in France should now emit about similar levels of emissions? Or for the standards for the country. Okay, so the US and France have very different standards. Right, so in other words, and I don't know if you're hinting about this, but it's actually one of my concerns is that they downloaded the wrong stuff for France. Why do you think they didn't download it someplace else, right? And so there's a little bit of a concern about the quality of the software controls for the devices being sent throughout the world. They just happened to, in France, do a random test, which is what they typically do, just to verify what their original findings were. And they found it that that wasn't compliant. And that's when all the things that were, were occurring in the around the iPhone 12. Are the standards in France the same for other countries in the European Union? Remember I mentioned the 500 millimeters? Yes. Almost all the other ones are 500 millimeters. None of them have the zero distance or the four watts. None of them that I know of. It's only France that has it in Europe. Okay, so France has even more strict standards yes, than yes. the rest of the European right. Union. Right. Which, by the way, if you think about it, as Sophia... You use a phone on your head. So they're really testing you for what it really is used for in France. No one else does in the whole world except for France. I'd like to dive deeper into the details of specific absorption rate. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about this. And for those who are listening, specific absorption rate is the ability of the body to absorb a transmission outside the body. The cell tower connection to the cell phone is transmitting to a cell tower. That's at a power level. And as I mentioned, in the US is one to six watts. It can't be any more than that because of the SAR. The SAR is where they're looking for, is it 
within temperature range? Is it in distance range? SAR measures the absorption of that signal outside the human body. And that's why they do SAR testing as supposedly to keep the user protected. But remember, it's 30 years old standards. And there is still a debate about when you have a cell phone to you directly to your head, are, are you truly safe? Chances are it's a higher temperature than the standard itself tests, and it's probably deeper. A good example is if you have a six-year-old child using a cell phone, the signal goes right through the head. It doesn't stop at the one to two inches penetration on the one side of the phone that you use it on. It goes right through a child's head. And because the skull of the child is yeah right warm, because it's different so it's more permeable right and and w- women men are thick skulled <laughs> we know that women aren't so it penetrates further into a female than it does a male just because of physics. I thought it was really interesting that on the Defender Shields website it explains more about the SAR values. SAR stands for specific absorption rate. And Defender Shield, your company explains, so we spoke earlier about the US FCC establishing a limit of 1.6 watts per kilogram. kilogram, Whereas in Europe, there's an international standard adopted by European countries and others, and they establish a limit of 2.0 watts per kilogram. And the difference between the two is not just the 1.6 watts per kilogram and the 2.0 watts per kilogram, but also in the gram of tissue. Yes. In the US, it's per one gram of tissue. In Europe, it's per 10 grams of tissue. Would you please explain that nuance? What does that mean to the average person? You realize I was trying to ignore that so I don't talk about this complicated problem. (laughs) What they do over one gram in the U.S. is they measure and it's unlikely it will spike in that measurement of the temperature. So what you get is an accurate for the actual penetration. With the 10 grams in Europe, it's wider, it's bigger. And they average the the temperatures across that area. And then they establish the the percent of penetration as well as the temperature. And it's three degrees Fahrenheit in the U.S., centigrade in the European. And so it's just a slightly different precision in the U.S. testing than it is in Europe. There's no averaging with the U.S. Okay, so there's generally less allowable radio frequency exposure allowed per gram of tissue per the European standard. It allows it to vary. So let's, for example, it could be four degrees over here and two degrees here. They average it to three degrees, and that's what... The, the standard allows them to do in Europe. Again, uh, I'm not sure which one is more appropriate. I, I tend to think it's too high anyway. One question I had is when these tests are being done to measure SAR, is it 
What body part is tested? Is it just the brain or is it also the hand? Because most people hold the phone in their hand. So wonderful question. In the U.S., it's literally simulating a signal outside the head in use. There's also actually other standards in the U.S. for body parts, everything other than the head. So there is some attempt to try to differentiate the two, and likely they should. And I always mention that no one has passed away from cancer received from a cell phone in the hand. It just doesn't have the same response as very, very soft tissue does. Your heart, your frontal lobe, your groin area, very soft tissue, lots of water, makes them more susceptible. So there is those differences. And in fact, in the French case, zero distance is, is really sort of trying to go after the other parts of the body and, and at what levels, because it's twice the level of performance from two watts per kilogram to four watts per kilogram. Okay. And so I read on Defender Shield that SAR limits don't vary much country by country, but what might vary is how strict countries are in implementing or enforcing standards. Right. Would you talk more about that? Yeah, I will. In the U.S., you're not required as a manufacturer to bring a phone to a company that tests those standards. You're not required to do that. And you are required to have proof you've passed it, but it's fairly liberal uh, on actually how they test implementation. And that's to some extent true for Europe as well. Although in the case of France, unlike the US, they periodically randomly test to see if they conform. And that's what they did in France. They literally went to a bunch of stores, bought a bunch of products right off the shelf, and they brought it into the laboratory and tested it. Now, that's not necessarily a procedure that's done in the US. So it's more liberal. So for those listeners who, if you're listening, you're probably concerned about electromagnetic fields, but you probably also have loved ones in France who are skeptical and might think you're overreacting. But in France, they have an agency that monitors electromagnetic fields and yeah. public spaces yeah. to protect the public. So they have a very different response to the science no than agencies in the U.S. and even outside the U.S. And that varied from country to country, too. Germany's pretty good about it. England's not. So it varies from country to country. So we have been talking about the thermal effects measured by SAR. Yep. And it doesn't seem like there are standards that consider the non-thermal effects that science has been studying for over a decade. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was hinting about before. Over 30 years ago, like no one had cell phones. And if you did, you couldn't call any of your friends because they didn't have a cell phone. So it was very, very low use at that time. And so... At that time, they said, well, what kind of impacts do we sort of understand? It's literally true. At that time, they understood thermal. They knew it got hotter. 
Why? Because it's a microwave signal. A cell phone, a Wi-Fi transmits a 2.4 gigahertz. It's a 2.4 gigahertz signal, which is slightly higher than a cell phone. And a microwave oven is 2.3 gigahertz. It's literally almost the identical signal. The power levels are different. There's more power in a microwave than a cell phone. It is a thermal emitting signal. It gets stuff hotter. That's what it does. That's the characteristics of a microwave or RF signal. And so at that time, what they were concerned about. So I think there was some level of legitimacy in trying to understand that. But as you just pointed out, over the last 30 some odd years, there's been a lot of work, almost all of it on biological impacts. And when you talk about what potentially could be of concern about a cell phone and its transmission, well, there's documented scientific evidence, but well-trialed understanding of the problems of neurological impacts, physiological impacts, tingling. Your eyes can hurt. You may have tendonitis. You may be depressed. You have body aches. All of these things are symptomatic to exposures that the go far beyond the thermal impacts and well understood over the last several years. So that's why the standards itself, there have been some question about, is it really up to date based on the science we know? And the answer is very simple. It is not. And when I mentioned you represents 3% of the population, it represents 3% of the population at most. Everyone else using it all the time When I grew up, um, I didn't have a cell phone. They weren't invented yet. When you grew up, maybe they were there a little bit, but not too much. But your children, they have a cell phone in their hand all the time. And so that use has drastically changed. And so the standard itself is drastically inaccurate, potentially. We don't know because there's no investigation by FCC to confirm that. For listeners, who would benefit from a little bit more detail. I, Daniel, you've been talking about the standards being 30 years old. So I just want to explain that the specific absorption rate for cell phones was set by the FCC, the US FCC in 1993. And that's when less than 10% of the population use cell phones which Daniel has explaining. And at that time, they cost about $900 a cell phone and were used mainly for business and military purposes. And they weighed 10 pounds. (laughs) Yes. And they were used for a few minutes a month. So just think about how drastically different our reality is today in 2023, when cell phones are very accessible. Most people have them no matter where you are in the world. And we're not on them for just a few minutes a day. Right. Well, that's American- actually, that's a very important point. Our use was a few minutes. And at a few minutes, you won't really see thermal or biological impacts. So these small durations of time that we used to use the cell phone really weren't that dangerous to the human body. Contrast that today. And when you're talking to your grandma, you're on the phone for an hour. 
very different user pattern than it was even 10 years ago, for example. So before I ask you to talk more about SAR and that it's studied for emissions under one frequency, I just want the listeners to know that the American Academy of Pediatrics has called for a re-evaluation of the SAR to better assess real-world exposures because children have a different vulnerability. So I just want to explain that for those who are not yet familiar with that. But another concern I would like listeners to be aware of is just to underscore another reason why SAR is not a protective enough measure for public health. I was reading that it also measures just the emissions under one frequency, as I said earlier, but in reality, smartphones today use several different frequencies in a single call. I wanted to ask, is that still true? And if you could elaborate on that. Okay. Actually, your question is a fairly precise question. It's what is under test when you look at SAR? There's only one transmitting signal out of a cell phone during that test, one. It's roughly around one gigahertz, uh, 900 gigahertz, depending on the phone you have. Wi-Fi is not checked. Bluetooth is not checked. Location is not checked. There are like four transmitters, potentially on a cell phone, when you put it to your head. They check. So one. let's pause. Let's pause. So Wi-Fi is a different frequency. Bluetooth is a different frequency. Why did you measure location or mention location? Because that's every second. Literally, it's pinging where your location is. And so, so the further away you are from like a cell tower or Wi-Fi router, always being pinged. harder yeah. it has to work. And maybe if you're around in a car and metal. Always doing it. Always doing it. When you even turn it off, it's still pinging where you are. And so the accuracy of the SAR testing, you may question if the standards are at the right level, but the testing is for one signal only. And we just described at least four separate transmitters that are also transmitting while one of them is transmitting and being tested. A Wi-Fi alone can be in excess of 1.4 watts over 1.6 watts. Can be more than that. A router is set that is six watts. Uh, it can be up to six watts. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and of, of course, I, I don't know if you recall. I tell everyone turn them off if you're not using them. Why? Because they're potentially fairly potentially dangerous for some. Not all of us, but for some, it certainly is. And by the way, I don't know if you remember. I talk about what level of power does it take to mutate a cell. What we know from science, it can be dot one watt. Dot one watt is 15 times less power than one dot six watts. And so there's some studies that talk about the biological impact at very much lower levels. So when you have this transmitter and then several others, there's potential likelihood that are more danger than not. Do you suspect there are additional transmitters additional to wi-fi cellular bluetooth no no okay. no they're, they're not no so if we use airplane mode to disable those three 
should the phone not be emitting any radiation? It does. For the location, it does. For the locations. But can you disable location tracking? You can control it. Okay. That's why I talk about if you should never really have a phone close to you, (laughs) you know, because there are transmitters occur there. And you may or may not remember to turn it off, a Wi-Fi or a, a Bluetooth. You may not or may. Why risk it? Just turn them off if you're not using them. So. Okay. So what can we learn from this iPhone 12 experience in France? It really conjured up a lot of concerns in the industry, and justifiably so. With the iPhone 12, on the surface, it looked like a manufacturer is producing something that was against the standard. You may debate the standards efficacy in protecting you, but it was against that standard. It was far more complicated than that. What we know is that they tested it randomly and picked up a problem with one cell phone. It may not be the only instance of manufacturing of a cell phone that is the area of the iPhone 12. It could potentially be any device we pick up. It really does depend on so many different factors. Even if it's correctly designed, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be necessarily safe. So there's that question that has been a concern to a far more broader audience than than in the past. But then the standard itself is being, being questioned as it hasn't been in the past. When people began realizing that it seems like there seems to be a lot of power going on here. And it relatively potentially can be, which is, in my opinion, a good thing. I don't know if the last time we spoke, uh, Sophia, that the FCC actually was brought to court by uh, Deborah Davis and Robert Kennedy about the fact that the standard was not updated by law required to be updated to reflect science at the time. That was not completed. So the FCC actually lost in court couple of years ago, that they did not upgrade their knowledge that determined the standards that were being applied. And so what you know for sure is the standards that are today do not apply for the standards that were created over 30 years ago. And that people seem to be more aware that this opened up a Pandora's box, which they didn't intend to do, which starts looking at some of the other attributes of a cell phone that you may be concerned about. I want to mention that even though the FCC lost that case in court, it still hasn't updated. Not not at all. And it won't be in my lifetime, right? It's like games they play in the... And I don't remember if you remember. I'm often asked a question about, are we going to change the standards? And, And I point out that it's really your obligation to make sure you're safe with the environment you live in. It's a toxin. It's like any other toxin you worry about that's in our environment. You don't take a can of gasoline, open up the top of gasoline, and put all the uh, noxious fumes into the room. Well, guess what? A Wi-Fi signal is the same thing. It's a Category 2B uh, carcinogenic. It's literally the same thing. And you wouldn't do that, but you still use your cell phone or you still use a Wi-Fi. So you need to sort of take on the responsibility, the ownership of trying to think about your own environment and try to determine 
how you want to deal with that toxin in your environment, like any other toxin. So I personally believe that simple rules that you like when I walk into a, my house, I never put my cell phone in the house. I always put it on at the door when I walk in and I pick it up on the door uh, as I'm walking out. I'm always making sure that I'm not my the house emissions are the lowest I can deliver by simply arranging where I have my transits, turning off transmitters, turning them off at night with controllers. It's all about controlling your own environment. Given the quote unquote mistake with the iPhone 12 in France, like the design of the product was fine. It was a software issue. How likely is that issue to exist in other wireless devices? like your laptop, your wireless keyboard, wireless mouse, wireless speakers. If you were a quality control manager and I asked you that question, there's only one answer you can have. This is not an isolated case. You have to plan your quality control management around the likelihood of it occurring. That's a simple point of fact. And that's simple quality control management. So, no, I don't think this was isolated. I don't know how prevalent it is, but I also don't know how limited it is. I just don't so know. The reality is no one knows. No one knows. No one tests. And so I think an important lesson to learn is that we should not have a false sense of security. Right that any of your wireless devices, even if it's an iPhone 12 in the US or iPhone 13, 14, 15, we just don't know. And so it's really wise to take precautionary measures. I know that my daughter in high school has had friends ask her if I would email their moms about this iPhone 12 issue to try and make the case that it's safer for them to have an iPhone 15. (laughs) What's your response to that? Very simple. All the evidence points to a manufacturing control problem, not a design problem. It's not a unique problem to the iPhone 12. It's a unique problem for every electronics that's manufactured that has the ability for chip to control transmit levels. Simple as that. It's a fact. It's not a theory. Uh, We know that's the case. And so it is too presumptuous to believe that someone else has made sure that everything you get is exactly what it's supposed to be. No one is testing in the U.S. So how likely is it that emissions change with each software update? The question is, how many times do you deliver software that has an error? And the and the answer, and actually, it's more complicated than that, because we talked about it's a U.S. cell phone, it's iPhone 12, and a France cell phone. It's literally the same manufacturer, literally the same. It's not a different product with a different design. It's the same. And it was manufacturing in... 2012, and then another batch was manufactured in 2014 or 13. It's batches of product being produced and the potential concerns and errors that may occur on each batch, 
we know the first batch was right in France, but we know the subsequent batch was not. And so that's quality control problems. And that's typical manufacturing concerns. And it's not an isolated case. I don't but know. the software update modif- reduce the, yeah. the star. Yeah. So yeah. whenever there's a software update, should I feel comfortable that, well, in the U.S., we don't really, our standards are very high. I'm just wondering, I've always, like, I've noticed I use airplane mode all the time to disable Wi-Fi, cellular, and Bluetooth, but I, it seems like after certain software updates, Bluetooth is automatically on. And I just wonder how it changes the transmitters in my phone. It can. I I actually, believe it or not, uh, Sophia, I don't think it's like a big problem. But I really don't know because we really don't have enough knowledge of the performance of these manufacturers for the lots they generate over time. And so I don't think it's a lot. It's likely not a lot. Every time you create a new product, it's manufactured correctly. Likely the software is correctly downloaded. And it's not necessarily a problem when meeting the standards. The question is really, can you have that consistent across the product and lot from lot from lot? And what we know for sure is it can happen. It did happen in France and it may happen again. And by the way, with with the Bluetooth piece, that's a control function. That's what it is. It's a control of that chip that they're, they're actually literally turning the volume on or off or they're adjusting the control of that chip, which generates the Bluetooth transmitter. So that's not totally surprising. So before we move on to EMF protection tips, I want to ask if there's anything else that you'd like to discuss and raise awareness of. The awareness I like to raise is that you own your own destiny. And, and so like it, reality, the questions that you're asking is, can you really rely on others to make the decisions on the technologies and the and your environment? And the answer is no, you can't rely on someone else. That's the most important thing. Are there concerns about the transmit levels? You've heard me say a couple of times, it hasn't been updated for so many years. The uses has changed after so many years. And so in my opinion, there should be fundamental changes on how we use our technologies. And that includes future technologies. When we talk about fifth generation stuff, there's a whole new set of concerns you have because you have the traditional networks sitting in place and you have the new networks living in the same area, uh, providing different services, which increases the, I would say, the density of RF signals in the environment. And those you got to be concerned about. And when you can, try to control them, particularly in your house environment, as you do. You turn things off. I put mine in a part of the house where it minimizes exposure. All those kinds of things are just normal precautionary things you should do. As I said, with gasoline, you wouldn't open a can of gasoline in the middle of the world. These things can also be equivalent to potential dangers as that gasoline the emissions from that. So 
I really don't have anything to say unless you want to talk about a lot of detail in 5G, and I don't think we have enough time. <laughs> I don't think we need to, but I, for those listening who are early in learning about electromagnetic fields, one thing that helps me make sense of these invisible exposures is to think about the different frequencies as layers of waves in like an ocean. And, and so years ago, there was 2G introduced. That's one like layer or wave. And then later 3G was added, then 4G, now 5G, and they're going to be more. And so when Daniel talks about the density of waves, an ocean of waves that we now live in, that's what he's talking about. And it comes from not just our wireless, well, no, our wireless devices and also wired technologies, but think about the new appliances and so many other products in our homes that are emitting these wireless radiations. And it's just a lot of stress on our biology. Yeah. Actually, you, you bring a good point. I'll give you an analogy of the French standard not being met. If I have a little ball peen hammer in my head, uh, in my hand, and I tap my head, let's pretend that's two watts per kilogram. And then, or four watts per kilogram, when it's zero distance from the body. And it went up to over five watts per kilogram. That's like that little ball peen hammer becoming a sledgehammer. It is power that's hitting the cell. It's literally a different increased power level that has a more potential increased response by the cell itself and the, and the surrounding cells. So it's not, it's not insignificant. Um, it, it potentially is more serious. And when you talk about 5G, you talk about signals that are down at the two watts per kilogram at one kilohertz, uh, one gigahertz, to something that has 40 to 100 watts in your front yard at 20 gigahertz or 60 gigahertz. All of a sudden, the ranges, uh, the, the strength of the signal are changing, and they're becoming very big sledgehammers. They're not just the small ping hammer that you're using. It's a much bigger hammer that's potentially being exposed into the environment. You're saying we have various sledgehammers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's literally true. If you follow Dr. Navio, who talks about cell danger response, there is no difference between a sledgehammer hitting your head and a microwave signal hitting your head. They talk about the how the body responds, how the cell responds to that. The body, in a sense, doesn't really know the difference between all these intrusions in our human body, but they do have different impacts. Uh, depending on the kind it is. And the explanation between the difference of the sledgehammer you're using versus the little tiny hammer you're using is the difference that the cells see that you actually can't feel. I was recently at a dinner and somebody asked me, given all that you've studied about toxic chemicals, heavy metals, and EMFs, what's the number one worst exposure? And I right. said... Of course, that feels like an impossible 
question to answer, but I think I would pick EMFs because it can make your membranes more vulnerable to the toxic exposures they're meant to protect the insides of. Yeah, there's no doubt when you have these kind of signals around you, your immune system itself becomes suppressed. And yet you're right. There's a blood-brain barrier that gets suppressed. There's the gut membrane that gets suppressed. There's the, I don't know, the mitochondrial impacts to the, the cells in the gut that get impacted. There's no doubt that these kinds of things affect us. And one of those that doesn't seem to be at the top of the list is electromagnetic radiation. But you got to remember, it's not been around that many years, you know, maybe 10 years or so. It's beginning to elevate. It's not quite where I think it should be. Maybe it's not where you think it should be. But there's certainly, in my opinion, one of the number one is the uh, electromagnetic radiation. And if you know, again, I'll say with Navio, he talks about the body response. It's an automatic body response. There's a healing cycle associated with that that can't be done unless you remove the toxins or the stressors. You know, it's not a simple oxidative stress that you're worried about. It's far more complicated than that. And I just think that what our environment has today seems to getting a bit more complicated in that way. And it is like number one on my list. And it's beginning to be on others, but not quite as pervasive as I wish it was. Well, I've been lucky enough to speak to you three times. For listeners who want to learn more, including a more basic overview of electromagnetic fields, check out my first podcast recording with Daniel. And then the second one, we got to talk more about 5G. And this one, we focus more on what we can learn from the iPhone 12. And I know I've asked you in those episodes, what are some EMF protection tips? But I, I want to ask you again, and don't be afraid to repeat anything because you have more information now about where the world is at. So being repetitive is still very helpful. But what are like five EMF protection tips that come to mind? I always like to point out the simplest ones, the easiest ones to follow through. And we sort of alluded to all of these. The distance. When when you have a cell phone directly to your head, that's potentially the maximum danger it can that can occur to the body. By four foot away, you're almost 98% of that danger is eliminated by simply distancing it. If you put it 10 foot away or more, there's zero impact to you, roughly. You do not want it in your bedroom, but by 10 foot, it's almost nothing there. So the very first thing is a distance. Keep a distance from the cell phone or the device, your, your router, your your any device that's transmitting, you want to have that distance. And then time. We talked about this 30 years ago. We didn't have anybody to talk. We'd pick up our phone, talk a couple of minutes, and it would be over. Now you talk to your grandmother and you're on the phone for an hour. That's a different use of the technology over the period of time. So the duration is pretty important because if you're a heavy user of cell phones and you do it for 10 years, you're three times more likely to have frontal lobe cancer. These are scientific facts that there is a heavy use 
penalty that you incur when you use the cell phone to your head with that kind of device. So, so those are the two primary kinds of things. And after that, if you really pay attention to that, you're fairly safe. But of course, some of us can. I mean, I I need I use the cell phone. I never used a cell phone until I had a shielding that I developed. And so you can shield it. And there's various products that maybe can help you do, to do that. And so that's a third thing I would say that you, you may want to consider a shielding devices. But there's another thing you do that I actually consider very important too, if not right on the top of the list. And that's removing the bees in the room. If you, you have one bee and they sting you, you're not going to die. If you have a thousand, it's not so good. And so by turning off the transmitters, as you do, in your room, the ambient in that room is reduced as a result of those transmitters being turned off. So you have your husband, you have your wife, you have your daughter, you have your son, you have your grandmother. If everyone has a cell phone on, they all have four transmitters coming out there. There's a lot of stuff going on in that ambient within the room. So normal practice, just turn off what you're not using, push them aside, move them in the other room, and that improves the safety simply by doing that basic thing of turning off transmitters. And when you can, take a device that can be wired and wire the device if you can, uh, which, which is what I do. And so those are like the three, maybe four things you really want to worry about as simple kinds of precautionary measures that you can take. So let's talk about Defender Shield. Do you have a favorite product currently? Or uh, what are your staple Defender Shield products? Well, I don't know if you remember that when I, when I began Defender Shield, I, I was in the telecommunications industry. I wrote the standards and tested technology for compliance to those standards for years. And so my wife came to me and my sons who were in the 30s or 40s at that time were using a a laptop on their lap. And she said, I want grandchildren. And I said to her, there's no way the power levels of a a laptop are strong enough uh, to uh, interfere with the male sperm. That wasn't true. And that was over 15 years ago. Even back then, we knew 25% of the male sperm is immobilized after several hours of exposure. I never knew it. And of course, many of my colleagues didn't know it either. We we just weren't aware of the implications of the technology we're working with. And so that's where I, I started. And then we had a, I read an article about a couple that bought a, a cell phone for a her teenage daughter, 16 years old, perfectly healthy lady, a year, within a year of the use, she passed away from a frontal lobe cancer. And that really disturbed me because I knew the shielding that I had developed could be actually be applied to a phone. And so I went into phones. And then I removed the electronics from the head when I had earbuds, which is what I use. And that just eliminates it. It's acoustical signal, and there's no electronics around the head. So we keep on trying to find ways of protecting the human body. One important one was a female in first trimester uh, with excess exposures is three times more likely to have a miscarriage, uh, heavy exposures. So we created a blanket around the, the belly to protect the womb of, of a child being born and, and growing. 
And so I'm I'm just excited about all the kinds of things we offer. I don't think we offer anything specifically and solves all the problems, but we try to solve as many as we can for those who have those kinds of problems. So, and we we just keep on going. We're we're compelled to. In fact, since the last time we chatted, I don't know if you remember, I was very concerned. I, I knew I could help the body it, be protected from external, but I also knew that there was the internal that I wasn't helping. So we began what now currently is Light Body, a product of supplements that go with the specific problems created by electronics around us. One example is um, DEPC, which is a biome, a, a, a bad biome uh, in the stomach. It's almost in every electromagnetic hypersensitive person. Why? We don't know, but we do know that's a fact. So we have a, a product that goes after the biome of the, of the stomach, particularly the uh, DEPC. I know from eyes, the blue light you look at when you look at a screen actually you don't blink, so you have dry eye. The back of the eye, premature macular degeneration, there's a whole bunch of stuff that occurs when you look at these monitors. And so we, we have an eye product now. Wow, we prevent the blue light from entering, and we repair the macula. And then we muck around with the middle with antioxidants in the middle of the eye to keep it healthy. And so these are all related to the digital lifestyle that we live and how to cope with that from the inside. So I'm pretty excited about that part because no one else in the- Who did she work with on the supplements? What's that? Who did she work with on the supplements? Oh, I was very fortunate to know a very successful formulator in the industry, and they came working with us. Very well known in the industry. Very wonderful guy. And so we began working with him. We had some research experts we, we know or friends of our company. We had doctors who were friends of our company. And we, we, we pulled it all together to come up with what we thought were the right set of products to start with to help in the digital environment. Um, and I'm just excited about that because I knew we're going after the, the stuff that's from the outside trying to attempt to go in, but I couldn't fix the inside. And now we're doing some of that with light body. That is very cool. Yeah. That makes me wonder for some reason. We talked earlier about the sledgehammers on the cell yeah. membranes. Do you have, what are your thoughts on the body's ability to heal the damage that has been experienced? So I work with clinics and those clinics were able to take electric hypersensitive person. And as you may remember, over 20% of the population is like a hypersensitive of that 80% are women. And so it's a growing problem. And I was always concerned, can you generate resilience from a hypersensitive state? And believe it or not, but when I began the journey, I didn't believe you could because we had contact with so many people. But then um, we began working with uh, physicians and others who had a bit more knowledge and experience than we did. And they began understanding what the impact of electromagnetic radiation really is. 
And I'll again say it, Dr. Navio, um, it's the next generation of medicine. He understands the involuntary response of a cell and understands how to get resilience out of that cell and repair. One of the very most simplest things is you remove the stressor. Even though I know it sounds like simple, it's not so simple. When we did our eye, when we did our eye, removing the blue light was the stressor in the eye. That allowed the macula to recover. And we've seen a high level of success in, a, 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 in, in the feedback we've gotten uh, in the surveys we do that actually works. Why? Because we move stressors. So even though it sounds simple, it actually wasn't that obvious. Uh, you, 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 when you say to a patient, don't sit next to a router, there's a real reason you say that. It's because they won't recover unless they stop doing that. And so that's like one point that we, we've learned. Uh, and, and then one of the first products we had was a fish oil. Why? Because of um, the stressor was um, creating inflammation. One of the most fundamental problems with the cell is inflammation. And so we went after the most purest of and most clean omega that you could possibly find. And I know thousands of people do it, but no one has it clean as we have. We went after it specifically because we knew that that would help the body repair and begin recovery. And, and so we looked for the right building blocks in each of these areas we went for um, with um, a focus on what we knew or the impact to the human as a result of an exposure from a, our modern environment. And for me, that, that part has been pretty exciting because I, five years ago, didn't think you could be recover from uh, electromagnetic hypersensitivity. All evidence I saw was that you wouldn't recover. You'd, you'd, you'd always have those headaches. You'd, you'd always be um, foggy in your thinking. That actually wasn't true. If you build the right foundations, eating habits, the way you eat, the way you sleep, it's all together, as you know. I mean, obviously, I'm talking to the choir. But those parts of your life cycle are really pretty important. Um, for being resilient uh, and recovering from those exposures. So I've been able to enjoy resiliency. I think when we first spoke many years ago, I was electro hypersensitive. Yeah, I remember. Sure. I still am, but I have so much more tolerance after. Yeah, right. Exactly. The bees in the room. Yeah, it really true. It really you can reverse it. And I actually didn't believe that was true five years ago. And now I feel really comfortable that. You can, and if you begin understanding the basic stuff, it's not complicated, uh, you can really recover. And as I said, 20% of, uh, 18, um, 80% of the 20% are women. And so we have a lot of communications with women about these subjects. So if I want to try your supplements, what's the first one you'd recommend I start with? The eye. I don't know if you have any eye issues, but I have lots of eye issues. So right. fish oils. And the I I I so I had a hip replaced. Um, I damaged it in an accident, and I'm a fairly old guy, right? So like it takes a long time to recover. 
I had one of the physicians that I work with, he called me up and he said, take triple the amount of omegas you normally use right now. And in less than four weeks, I was fully mobile. I couldn't believe how well I succeeded in doing it. Uh, and it was, I believe, was I went after the inflammation. No more complicated than that. I did the exercise that you normally do, but you don't recover that quickly because the body has to heal and recover in the presence of inflammation. So uh, the omegas would be one. The eye, I started taking the sample from a prototype, right? And I was getting mad because my eyesight was getting worse, I thought. And then I tried to get a new pair of glasses and I got a grade up in multiple and I was getting worse. So I said, well, it can't be that I don't need as much multiplication in my readers. That's what the case was. I went from a three multiple to a two from the from our eye product. And so that's one of those things I would say is the other one you want to do. And um, and if you're electrohypersensitive, you may you may have the Dev C. Uh, I don't know if you ever tested for that, but um, that's pretty consistent. We found in the clinic that they they were elevated, and a and a good biome um, stomach product is not a bad thing to do anyway. At pre and postbiotics, um, and so. What I'll do is if if I'll just have a, a we'll send a, a bunch of stuff to you so you can sort of try it out. Um, Great. Yeah, it's really I'm excited personally because I started this journey eight or nine years ago and I thought it was the stomach because that's the origins of, you know, your immune. And there's so many reasons <laughs> I realize it's far more complicated than that. <laughs> As everything is. Yeah, it um is. I have a question and I won't include this for the record, the published recording, but uh, I have uh, years ago when my family and I were going to go hiking in Chile, I thought everyone's cell phone is going to be against their body for hours during yeah. our hike. So I bought Defender Shield pouches to, you know, right. the mini Faraday cages and the phones were really hard to get in and out. And does that have to be the case to contain the radiation. Yeah, we really try to do that. Yeah. Um, it, it, we want to ensure that it's not leaking. Yeah. Um, it's it, the engineering problems are reasonably complicated problems on occasion. Even though it looks simple, it is really designed basically on the how we contain it. Um, we, on some cases, we've actually been able to change the design, but it was a physical, much different design to start with that we worked with. So no, that's just a byproduct of the design that needs to be there. Okay. Well, thank you again for taking the time. I will let your team know when this gets published, but okay. your expertise is so valuable for as anyone who will listen, their lives will be better from. Well, well thank you so much for saying that. that. One of the things, as you know, I do not like to exaggerate the facts. There, we're 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 here for the long term. We got to figure out how to work in our environment, like all the toxins, not just the electromagnetic radiating toxins. And that's the conversation you like to have, which is why I appreciate you inviting me on because you're really trying to help people understand what the challenges are, so they can live with it in their own lives. And that's kudos to the work you do.
Thank you. Thank you. Well, I uh, have always appreciated our conversations and I look forward to more. Okay. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really do appreciate it. And you have a wonderful day. You too. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. For podcast show notes, visit www.ruanliving.com, spelled www.ruanisinnontoxicliving.com. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, please like it and share it. Until next time.